0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a QA. and a and I don't have any ranting to do. We can just jump right into it, really. Yeah, we got a couple questions from the
1: Facebook group, and then we will finish it off with some questions
0: from Instagram. Some rapid fire style. Rapid fire, as in their questions are short. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah. there's limited characters. Not necessarily my answers.
1: Okay, so we will start off with... Um, first one's going to be from Alex Williams, who says, How do you stop self-sabotaging
0: yourself? We... Did we do a Q&A? Did we answer something like this in a Q&A, or do we do like a Monday Mindset Podcast on self-sabotage? I think it was a Q&A. Okay, so... Um, it's really hard to say just because I think it depends on the person and where in their life they're self-sabotaging, but typically when you self-sabotage yourself, you have what's called an upper limit, and this can be applied to anywhere in your life. So I think before you can figure out how to stop, you have to identify when and why you're doing it. A really good book that helps you do this is called The Big Leap. Uh, It's by Gary Hendricks, I think his name is. Or did we go to school with a guy named Gary Hendrix? Yeah, we did. Okay, his name is Gay Hendrix. That's oh, what it is. Yeah. Very, very similar. That's yeah. why. Um, it's Gay Hendrix. and uh, th- there's a picture of a fish jumping out of a fishbowl on the cover. Um, I was like, that name sounds too familiar. <laughs> Shout out to Gary. <laughs> um, but the, the book talks about this upper limit idea and it t- essentially upper limit is kind of like you have a ceiling that you subconsciously set for yourself. Uh, And this can be in your career, in your financial life, it can be in your relationship, it can be in your physical body, and your health, it really can be in any realm you're trying to improve and it's this idea that you're pursuing this goal and you're working at it and you're working hard and you're being consistent and you're you're going and going and going and at a certain point in time, you kind of just cap out. It's almost like you you cap yourself and you have this invisible ceiling over you that you can't break through and it always presents itself at the same time. Um, so for example, easy easy way to look at this is in a business world, um, somebody's goal is to make six figures and every time they get so close to making six figures, they do something to screw up their position. They drop the ball at work. They, they get in a fight. They do something, right? They start sleeping in and missing work, they do something, right? Uh, Maybe your goal is to lose 20 pounds and you always get to like that 15 pound mark and then you binge and you have a cheat day or you say screw it and you stop training or whatever it may be. You have this tendency, right? And there's even, you know, people that use examples um, that I've talked to and even in my own life where in relationships you go a certain amount of time of Maybe you're in like a good example that I could share of me personally is, is setting up habits and routines and kind of like checklists of like things I'm going to do for my family consistently, not to get like praise or tell them I'm going to do it, but like just kind of do it on purpose and track it myself so that they feel that for me and notice that for me because I know that's what they want. Blakey doesn't realize she wants it, but Shannon, there's obviously certain things that she wants from me and I can do that and then usually you get on like a streak of it and then... As it's about to be like noticed or make a difference, you stop and you just fall off or you fuck it up or you do something stupid. This is the upper limit idea. You always put yourself in this cap. So You have to identify what that is because a lot of people say, well, I'm self-sabotaging myself and they don't go as far as understanding or determining where are you self-sabotaging yourself? Why are you self-sabotaging yourself? And how are you self-sabotaging yourself? Once you can actually identify when, why, how, and where... Right At that point, you can start changing your habits leading into it and you can actually start to become aware before it happens. This is where you get proactive. And the thing I learned from the book was actually really powerful. It was being able to see when I was going to self-sabotage, quote unquote, before I even did it. So I start acting a certain way, doing certain things, making certain moves, having bad habits or whatever, and they start building up and I could stop and go, oh shit. Here's that upper limb again. I'm, I'm about to self-sabotage myself. I need to like check myself. I need to get back to meditating, get back in my routine. I need to look at these things I'm doing wrong. Um, so trying to figure out how to identify it is number one, read the book. It's going to help you, but really just putting paper, you know, pen to paper and, and talking about, to yourself about in your journal, where are you doing it? How are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Really trying to identify those things because awareness proceeds change. The easy way to, easiest way to stop is just to become aware of it. Usually when people self-sabotage, they don't realize how it's done. They do it, and then they're, they're seeing the, the negative consequences, repercussions from it, and they're going, fuck, I did it again. I self sabotage myself. Yeah. Um, so that's one big tip is just trying to identify it first. Um, and then I guess what you could do is, is create habits that change those bad habits or bad actions, right? And this is like the inclusive instead of exclusive mindset. And this is good with dieting too. Instead of me saying, hey, stop eating this or stop start restricting this or stop doing this. Let's start adding this and start including this and um, just balance this and anytime I pull away anything that's going to have a negative reaction, right? Human beings, you tell me to do something or not to do something, I want to do the opposite because you're telling me. Um, So I would say trying to put good habits into your day or in that area of life that are going to kind of override those bad habits that self-sabotage you. Uh, but really, honestly, I think the the best way to stop is to just become aware of it. Once you become aware of it, you just know what it is. And it's as simple as stop fucking doing it. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you exactly how to stop doing it because I don't know what it is for you. You have to determine that and identify that the book will help in journaling about it and figuring out where you do this and when you do this and and looking at the things that happen around that time. Because if you do it in this area and it's always after this many weeks and it's at this point in time, figure out what's going on in that area at that point in time after that many weeks that is causing you to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then last but not least, I should probably say this because this is heavy in the book. Um, a lot of it is about self-acceptance. So a lot of people subconsciously self-sabotage themselves because they don't think they are worthy enough of blank. So maybe they keep sabotaging their relationship and it's because they actually don't accept and love themselves enough that they don't feel they're worthy of a good relationship. They don't feel like they're worthy of having a good partner or spouse. Um, and this is like deep rooted subconscious. A lot of people wouldn't realize it until you start doing the work, reading the book and you start really understanding it. Um, some people don't believe that they're worthy of losing weight. They think they're just born this way. This is what I'm supposed to be. I'm not worthy of being lean. Um, same thing with money. Like maybe you have like a bad, like a uh, a bad relationship with money because you were raised a certain way and money is evil and so on and so forth. Or you saw money tear people apart, and now you have this pre. Written script in your head that money is bad and subconscious and it's causing you to self sabotage things, but you need to rewrite that story and then realize that you're worthy of however much money yeah. that makes you successful or whatever career position or whatever it may be. Um, but a lot of times it really does come down to worthiness, as crazy as that sounds, and people do it to themselves.
1: Yeah, I think that worthiness can be in a lot of different aspects
0: of your life. 100%. In yeah, and a lot of times it's crazy too because most people, if you speak that out loud, in most scenarios, people will be like, dude, you're crazy. Like, yeah. people don't think that of you. You, you think do. that of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And that's what needs to be rewritten. Totally. So,
1: That's good. All right, cool. The next one is going to be come from Samoa. And then. Not even going to try. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm going on vacation. I'm following a TCM program. I am going to assume that that's from the Taylor trainer. Head I. Or
0: to. Possibly. Unless. What you, is the URL now? CodecoachingMyth.com slash Taylor Trainer. Yep. Link in the description of this podcast. Shameless plug.
1: I was planning on uh, I was planning to work out four to t- five times a week per, or four to five times per week. So should I so what should I do with the program when I return? Do I skip a week, repeat the previous week, or start an entire new
0: block over? So there's I have a few thoughts on vacation training. Um, the first one is don't overthink this. I think a lot of people overthink it. You could take a week Two weeks off, um, and and I've seen this happen. I just had a client. Actually, Jordan Site was just talking about this because he was just on his honeymoon. But I also have a client who was in. Um, oh fuck, where was he? He bounced around. He was so they live in Europe. So it's, I mean, jealous of this, but it's easy to be like, I'm gonna go here, and then yeah. here, you know what I mean? There's beautiful places I mean- everywhere. Same thing. is just saying we can go to California. Yeah, I it, know, it's but not the same to us. It's not. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, but I mean, the, I I guess where I see it is the the architecture of Paris, Spain, Italy. Like it's just insane yeah. compared to every going, state. Has going like, to Seattle to LA. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> cool, bu- cool buildings. Yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, like I get tagged. Shannon tags me in like castles of Germany and shit on like that Earth Instagram. Yeah. Fuck. I'm yeah. just like. We you can't find that shit over here. No, no. Um, but he was in Paris and then he was in somewhere else. I can't remember where the other spot was off the top of my head. Um, but it was like a two to three week honeymoon came back first week, hit PRs. Right. He, he, did he work out there? Yeah. But it was like, Hey, hit the movement patterns with some like bands or body weight. You're not going to get the same intensity. You're not going to get the same volume. You're not going to build any muscle while you're away. I mean, you're just, we're just trying to maintain and just get you moving. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, no stress came home, crushed it in the gym, hitting PRs, you know? So point being being away and not doing anything isn't going to reduce strength gains because it's too short of a time unless you're taking a six month vacation or going away and doing band and body weight work isn't nearly as intense. You're not going to progress and build muscle or strength, but you're definitely going to maintain. It's enough to maintain everything because you're doing something. You're, you're challenging the muscle in any way shape or form. I mean you could just do fucking air squats and push ups every day and you'd still maintain some muscles. You don't need much to maintain. So don't overthink this. It's not that big of a deal. Um second thing, if you have access to a gym, I have a lot of clients who are like, hey, I'm I'm going here, I'm gonna be gone for two weeks, but it's for work. There's a gym down the street. I'm gonna hit the gym every morning just like I normally do. It's like cool, let's adjust some movements because that gym might not have the same equipment, but let's just get it in like we can. And you just continue with the program. So if you have access to a gym, like you said, you're gonna be training four to five days a week just keep training the program. Don't change a thing. Just go through it. If you got to tweak some equipment, you don't have a barbell, you got dumbbells, you don't have a kettlebell, you have use dumbbell or landline, whatever, that's fine. Just do what you can. Um, if you're traveling and you're in a hotel, you're gonna be minimizing intensity quite a bit because if it has weights, the dumbbells are probably gonna go up to like fifty, mm-hmm. you know, at most. There probably won't be a barbell, you're gonna have a few machines. It's gonna be suboptimal. Just do whatever you can to create a level of effort that is the same. The intensity, meaning the load, is not going to be the same, so your volume isn't going to be the same. But if you have a eight-rep bench press and your weights only go up to 50 and you can do 80-pound dumbbells for 50, right, and there's no barbell for you to actually do it, or I'm sorry, 80-pound dumbbells for eight, but the dumbbells will only go up to 50 and you can't use a bar, now we're going four sets of 15 to 20 reps with a slow tempo and a pause at the bottom, Right we're still pushing ourselves just as close to failure as we would at home gym. We just don't have the same volume and intensity as we did before. That's going to be your best bet at eliciting as close of a change as possible. And with that, you can do one of two things. You can either A, just carry on with the program, or B, you can do what you can, and then when you get back, just restart that week that you had to tweak around a little bit so that you can get the most out of it when you get back. Um, especially if it's like I re- like this week I was doing triples on the deadlift, and I really want to see where my – my deadlift was at, of course, repeat that week so you can get home and do it and just do what you can while you're gone. Um, If you're like, I don't even want to worry about training, I'm just going to do some bodyweight stuff, just skip the week. And if you don't want to miss that week, pick it back up. You know, perfect world, you would pick it up back up where you left off so you don't miss any weeks. You definitely don't need to restart the entire block. I think that's unnecessary because you're just taking a week off. So if week one was seven reps, week two was five reps, week three is three reps, and that's the week you missed, for example, on your compound just do whatever you got to do. Just skip training, go on walks, do whatever. And then when you get back, just hit that week of triples. Like, you're going to be fine. Your body doesn't forget how to deadlift in a week. So um, don't overthink this. And you can always just not train. It's just not that big of a deal. Um, if I'm traveling for vacation and it's less than a week, I typically try to just take the whole time off. It's good for your body to do every once in a while. Yeah. Um, like, when I went to San Diego, I trained two out of the three or four days I was gone because I was going on a work trip. And... As you guys can imagine, I train for a living. So it was quite easy because I'm with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athletes and strength trainers and stuff like that. It's like, oh, cool. Let's get lifts in because that's part of what we're doing here. Um I'll be traveling again early November. I'm not going to train at all. I'll be gone for a few days. I'm just going to relax, going to walk, chill. You know yep. what I mean? It's not going to do anything. I remember Ben Pokolsky was big on this. He would prep for olympia and then he would take like a full month off of training wow that's a long time for a professional bodybuilder but he also knew that he was training six seven days a week training for the biggest bodybuilding competition you can um mind you he is enhanced Obviously, he would take a month off before the competition after after he was done so it's kind of like peak of your competition then you're like okay i'm gonna give my body a month rest yes granted he was on uh he was enhanced lifter meaning his body's sending a signal to maintain muscle regardless but Even if you're not that, that, I mean, a month off as a professional bodybuilder's hands can be similar to like a week off for a natural athlete, you know, who's not even competing, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, don't overthink this. I think you can do any of the above realistically, and you'd be totally fine. Yeah.
1: Good. Good. All right. Let's uh, move on to the next one. It's going to be from M M S Logger One, Miss Logger One maybe.
0: How do you feel about fasting? I have mixed feelings about fasting. Um, I think there's, uh, okay, so if I had to say overrated or underrated, (laughs) I would say overrated and then I can share my thoughts. The reason I think it's overrated is because I think a lot of people use it as a fat loss tool. Here's my opinion on fasting for fat loss. I think everybody who does fasting for fat loss does it wrong from a physiological perspective um, and may do it right from an adherence perspective without realizing they're doing it right from an adherence perspective. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people, they skip breakfast, right? They fast into the day and they think, this is going to help me lose weight because fasting is magical. And they're like, no, all you're doing is skipping breakfast, which allows you to have a bigger lunch and dinner, which makes you feel like you're not dieting in the afternoon, which makes it easier to stick to a daily caloric deficit, which makes your adherence better to a calorie deficit. That's really what's at work here. And they have studies, like the lean gain study is actually what it's called. The most recent one that was, I think, did the best example of this. Taking two groups and looking at calories, looking at fat loss. And the group that did fasting ended up losing just barely, like splitting hairs more fat. Mm. But they were also in about a 250 calorie bigger deficit because they couldn't eat as many calories as they needed to in the night. So that just proves like, okay, both had equal results when calories were equated but when calories aren't equated the fasting worked better but because they hit a calorie deficit easier yeah right which makes sense i mean if if i go hey you're going to start eating at 8 a.m and then group two i'm saying hey you're going to start eating at 1 p.m who do you think's going to eat more food yep the people that start at eight because they are eating all day versus people eating half the day. It just It's easy. Mm. There's no magic that's happening here. When we think of like autophagy and things like that, yes, fasting does increase autophagy, but so does a calorie deficit. So until they have a study showing that fasting uh, produces more autophagy than simply calorie deficit in two groups where calories are equated, we can't say that fasting is the key to autophagy. We can say that that's one of the benefits of a calorie deficit, and if fasting helps you achieve that calorie deficit better. Um, Now, if we look at time-restricted feeding research, which is a little bit different than intermittent fasting, you start to see a lot more positive benefits from a physiological perspective. And the reason you see this is because Time-restricted feeding is typically done, the best research is typically done by uh, Dr. Suchin Panda, I believe his name is. Um, I know his last name is Panda, but I believe it's Dr. Suchin Panda. But he has a, a lab that only does time-restricted feeding. A lot of it is on mice. Um, however, it's highly regulated, and it's mainly based on your circadian biology, which means they are feeding people depending on sunlight and waking hours. So when we do that, it changes this idea of, of intermittent fasting where you're skipping breakfast and going on because just like Chrono Nutrition showed, it actually might be beneficial to start eating earlier in the day, eat the majority of your calories in the morning, and then actually stop eating earlier so you can go to bed on more of a... a, a, a empty stomach essentially. Mm. Um, and then they also have research that shows too, like, okay, you're doing a 16 hour fast. However, your last meal is at that 16 hour mark and it takes hours to digest. So you're actually not in a completely unfed or or fasted state for 16 hours. So it, it really changes, which you can tweak timing, quantities, nutrients, and stuff like that to change the digestion to increase the fast without doing more hours per day. If you look at this, but there's a lot of interesting research on time restricted feeding from his lab and, uh, in the chrononutrition stuff, which there's different research on it. I would look at Danny Lennon's content if you're interested in that, because he puts out the most stuff. We interviewed him on our podcast as well. And I've mentioned it a few times. Um, but my thoughts are this, like if you're going to really try to enhance your physiology, your metabolism, your hormones to, and try, try to improve fat loss through fasting. I think it's smarter to do it according to your circadian biology and how I would probably program that for somebody is, um, eating in the morning, uh, not right away. I think you should eat after being awake for one to two hours. I think is what most of the research shows is actually better for energy, hormone levels, digestion, stuff like that. Um, it also lets you kind of ride that cortisol wave a little bit in the morning, matching it up with sunlight because sunlight comes in, then you can start feeding and then finishing your, your last meal closer to like five, 6 PM dinner time, And then, not eating for 3 4 5 hours until you go to bed basically and then your fast continues through sleep you wake up have a couple hours and you go at it so basically taking the classic intermittent fasting and flipping it on its head that's probably the best way to go about it but nobody does that not even me even if I wanted to because one making sure you eat dinner by 5 or 6 p.m. sometimes is hard number two having like a snack at night before bed is enjoyable it's social and like when you go watch TV or you do something you like to have a snack it's just how people are it's very difficult to do that perfectly from a social lifestyle perspective, yeah. especially knowing that the benefits come when you're doing it seven days a week. Um, more of the benefits come when you're doing it seven days a week because part of your circadian rhythm is regulated by your feedings, not just the, like, not just according to the sun, how many times or whatever, but your body clock adjusts to your feedings consistently. So what I mean by that is if you eat at 7, 10, 1, 5, 8 – three hours apart throughout mm-hmm. the day in this feeding window, that's cool. But if you did that every single day, seven days a week, your body begins to pick up on that. And that's where a lot of these circadian rhythm benefits come from is having a feeding schedule. Not necessarily like one is better than two or 9 a.m. is better than 11 It's a.m. consistent. It's consistent, um, which makes it hard again to do it that way because maybe I could do that Monday through Friday, but then the weekend hits and I want to be social. So it's, it's tough. Um, I think intermittent fasting has its places. I think time-restricted feeding shows more benefit. I personally like intermittent fasting more so from a productive entrepreneur perspective of like skipping breakfast to kind of ride the cortisol and adrenaline wave that your body naturally produces in the morning, especially if you optimize sunlight in the morning. You try to like, when I go downstairs and start working, it's harder now with the season, but like during the summer, open up all the blinds, get natural sunlight in through those big windows I have next to my table so I can sit next to the window, work natural sunlight because I'm not going to go on a walk at six in the morning right away. But if you can, it's great for you. Um, but I think fasting is good from that perspective because cortisol up, adrenaline up, you actually will have better clarity, better focus, better memory, better productivity. Um, you just can't ride that wave too long or else stress levels get out of whack. For sure, yeah. So, um, But yeah, I think it's overrated for fat loss. I think it's not the best idea for muscle growth or performance. Yeah. I think it's okay for pr- productivity. For sure. Long-winded answer. Yeah, but broke it down
1: in different aspects. Uh, let's uh, go to the next one. This is from Andra03. It says, sorry, this is a weird one. Is there something with my hormones if I don't get morning erection anymore? If so, what are the fixes?
0: It's a Uh, good question. It is a good question. Um, Is there something wrong? Probably you should be getting a morning erection. Um, And it's most likely just low testosterone. I mean, this is, so if you talk to any physique competitor who has done a bodybuilding prep, physique prep, anything like that, um, even bikini athletes will tell you this too, like libido drops. Why is that? Because sex hormones are lower when you're in a calorie deficit or your body fat levels are too low. So if you're going through a, a, a physique or bodybuilding prep and you're 8 to 10 weeks in, sometimes not. It actually depends on the person. It might be 12 to 16 weeks. It really depends on how long the diet is, all that stuff. But point being is when you're like three-quarters of the way done, you're not like – you're not horny. You're yeah. not ready for sex. Your sex libido is down. I mean you don't want to do much at all. Uh, You know, I I used to joke about like with like neat, right? Like non-exercise activity, thermogenesis. I check the male far left often if I'm in a diet, right? Because my calories are low. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the male. I'm not walking out there. But when I'm like eating enough food, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go get the male. I'm going to take a walk. I'll do an extra lap. Like if you want to come sit on my shoulders, like I just naturally do that because I like to move. But when you're dieting, you don't, right? It's the same thing with sex. And that's because sex hormones drop for men. Testosterone's lower. You just don't have that sex drive. So yeah, it's normal. Um, how to fix it? I can't tell you that. Number one, I'm not a doctor. Number two, um, I, I, I need to look at your diet. I need to look at your lifestyle. Typically, with men, it's your your calories are too low. Your training is way too hard and often, or your sleep is shit. So, either you're under-recovering and overstressed because you have poor sleep or la- low-quality sleep or, or not enough sleep, or you're overtraining, and that's putting you in that under-recovered state, or you're just under-eating, which is also putting you in that overstressed, under-recovered state. And... All of the above can cause that. Um, Some people will say if your fats are too low, I would disagree um, unless you're, you know, if you're in a slightly, like if you're in a slight deficit of calories to lose fat and you're experiencing this, then I would say, yeah, your fats are probably too low. But if you're not in a deficit, if you're at maintenance or surplus and your fats are super low because you're following a high carb diet, I would say no because your calories are high enough to compensate for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's usually, it's usually diet. Over training. Yeah. You know, something along those lines. Under covering. Yeah. Plain and simple. Cool. All
1: right. We will move on here. Oh, here's a good one. We have one from Carrie F Baby. Uh it
0: says, What is your favorite restaurant in Dallas, Texas? The only one I can remember. <laughs> the pecan lodge. Or they might say pecan. I feel like pecan's a southern way to say it. Yeah. Pecan Lodge. Pecan Lodge. Um fucking amazing barbecue and i had a few people from dallas hit me up and were like dude that place is amazing so um the pecan lodge is is the spot technically in fort worth Uh, i believe it was it was because that's where the rodeo was and we went there prior to the rodeo yeah but we went back to the spot before the rodeo it was downtown dallas was it really? Yeah, because we went back to get our uh, cowboy gear on oh. before we went to the rodeo. And by we, I mean Cameron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was the only one that dressed like Daisy Duke. Um, I, I can't remember any other places that we went, really. That, yeah. It's in Main Street, Dallas. Ass,
1: that nice ass restaurant. We went oh,
0: yeah. Oh, fuck. What was that? You have a reservation? I probably do. I mean, actually, I have to. But it was like, I mean, I guarantee I can find it right here. Um, I mean, there's a lot of steakhouses now they think about it. It is Texas. I was thinking your email, Dallas, Texas, reservation. I figured I'd find it super quick, but then I was like, actually, there's probably a shit ton. Oh, Del Frisco's. Del Frisco? Yep, that's what it uh, I don't remember. Yeah, it was Del Frisco's. Yeah, you were hammered. That's why. But, um, and rightfully so. Um, we had that private room. They gave us the biggest table I've ever oh, seen, though. It was my bigger God. than this room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, hey, you will cross the table. <laughs> Uh, but Del Frisco's was an amazing steakhouse, really, really good. Um, I mean, phenomenal steak. Yeah, and then uh, so Pecan Lodge was like the the typical backyard barbecue place. Yeah, like paper on your tin tray, <laughs> you know, getting dirty with it. Like, uh, what was that something. brisket? At the end of the elbow or what? Yeah, uh, they they just call it. Uh, I think they call it called burnt ends. Burnt ends. Yeah, yeah, that was so it. fucking good. I didn't know enough to order that. Luke ordered it. Yeah. But he ordered so much fucking food. He was like, You can have some of this. Yeah. <laughs> but burn ends were good. I had uh I had brisket. I had uh pulled pork. I had pulled pork and mac and cheese. Yeah, I had some kind of chicken. I didn't get the mac and cheese. I tried some of it. But the burn end was ridiculous. I, I did a couple
1: corn on the cob.
0: Gotta have corn on the cob. Yeah. I did a couple tri tips this weekend on the smoker and uh like <laughs> so I'm like, cutting it. Eating the bird ends as I cut it, like taking those. I saved like one of them because I know Shannon loves them, but I was like, I gotta eat those because we had two, so we had quite a few bits. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, love
1: so smoke barbecue, so good. Dude, I don't really like mac and cheese. No? I, u- I used to eat like craft, yeah, you know, like the box stuff, but I just I'm not a fan of it anymore.
0: Like you feel very lethargic after oh eating my mac God. and cheese. Yeah. My grandma makes well,
1: pasta and yeah.
0: Cheese, cheese! <laughs> My grandma makes homemade mac cheese that is just ridiculous. I'm, I'm sure it's you good. You see her melting all these different nice cheeses in it, and then it's just like, oh, wow. dude, it's amazing. But yeah. Johnny's on that. Johnny's on everything. Yeah, Johnny's amazing. All right, cool. Uh, next one is going to be
1: from Nadell Uh Is there a difference between closed stance and wide stance when squatting?
0: Yes and no. So it it kind of depends on who the way we're framing this question. So the difference between them is mainly individual. And why I say that is because there's multiple, and I, I used to remember how many they actually predict there are, but I'm not going to say, cause I can't remember, but there's multiple different hip structures and different people have different, what's called Q angles of their hips. Um, and those Q ang- angles can actually change over time, especially like for women after birth and stuff like that. But the point with this is, is depending on your Q angle and your hip structure will depend on where you're, Femurs sit, how much external internal rotation you have, and basically what squat is going to be best for you. Um, same thing with sumo deadlifts, right? Some people feel great with sumo deadlifts, some people feel like shit with sumo deadlifts and do conventional. The reason is because we have different hip angles and we have different femur lengths. So, a wide stance sumo squat deadlift or a wide stance squat is probably going to be better for those with longer femurs because you can spread out wider, you can sit into it more. Um, if you do a close stance squat with long femurs, it ends up looking like a good morning. Um, unless you elevate your heels a lot and go light enough to where you can just let your toes glide over. But if we're talking heavy squats, you don't want to let your toes glide over too much because we're trying to load it heavy. That's why power lifters who have longer femurs, they usually typically go wider and wider because they can handle more load. They have more stable base. Bodybuilders tend to go a little bit closer and let their knees glide over more to create more of a stretch on the quads. Um, However, there was also a study that was reviewed in mass research review by Greg knuckles. I believe it, was inconclusive like no there was no difference but there might be a small difference Uh, but essentially they showed like quad activation between close stance and wide stance and there was no difference between the two groups i believe um and if there was difference it was splitting hairs because i remember being surprised by it because when you do close stance you feel your quads way more which is why i would probably argue it i think with a close stance especially if you elevate your heels and you let like what i was doing yesterday with the cyclist squats heels elevated on the prime ramps letting my knees glide way over i mean there's literally a bigger range of motion and stretch on the quad. So the only way I can think that they would be equal is if in the study, they controlled for range of motion. And if we did that, then yeah, of course we're not going to, but the whole point of going close stance and elevating your heels, for example, is to encourage a longer range of motion specifically on your quads, Mm. because you take your quads through a full stretch movement versus sitting back into it, not having your knees glide as forward as much and having a little more glutes in the squat. Um, So again, I, I think, you know, for strength, it's individual. What's your hip structure, what's your femur length like? Use that squat. That's probably going to be your best way to take advantage of your hip structure to squat heavier. I think for physique purposes, wider is usually probably better for glutes and closer is probably better for quads. Um, but again, it's it's very individual.
1: You say quads and glutes and but does it this spec- do, wide stance and close stance specifically work the exact same muscle groups?
0: yes just dominant in one or the other Uh, right so if you do a close stance squat you're still going to get your glutes right because you're still taking your glutes through a big stretch um you're just gonna have more quad mm -hmm. way more quad if you do wide stance you're going to have quad and glute but you're gonna have a little more glute um both are still going to be quad dominant right just like a deadlift is very rarely going to be quad dominant unless you do a trap bar and there's no bar in front of you and you can let your knees glide forward now all of a sudden you're really just doing a squat from the floor yeah you know um but like I said, that study showed there's no difference. So I think it depends on your hip structure and your body, body type. Cool. I want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take a whey protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a greens drink, a fish oil, whatever it is, Legion probably has it. And... They are going to be using science-backed ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab-tested, made in the U.S., and you're going to get a money-back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion, and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's gonna come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find, and they trust Amazon reviewers, and don't get me wrong, if something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome, but you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use the stuff on a regular basis. So, guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best, and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boomboom and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So, one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boomboom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. All
1: right, uh, next one is going to be... From Kova Fitness, do you have a podcast or po- or post for a newbie figuring out starting
0: macro targets? Um, I think we do. I mean, we def we have to. We have so much content. I can't imagine. Um, there's a podcast series called the uh, Nutrition Fat Loss Series. There's a YouTube series for that as well. Um, the best thing to do though is go get our free book on the website. So go to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides and download the tailored nutrition method ebook. It's 87 pages. There's tons of links in there. There's research cited. There's extra resources, um, linked in there for you to check out that are, uh, that are related to me and not related at all. It's just me giving you suggestions of great places to learn more. Um, and I teach you everything you need to know. I mean, that, it's, it's called the Taylor nutrition method, the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. So it starts from square one and dives into calories and macros, ma- micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, meal timing, supplements, uh, diet breaks, periodization, all that kind of stuff. Um, very, very all-inclusive, you know? Yeah, so sure. um, I would say go, go to the guides page on our website, download that free guide, the Taylor nutrition method, and I think it's going to really teach you everything you need to know. You can access it on the homepage, or do you have to click coaching? Um, you should be able to do it on the homepage. But if you have some kind of pop up blocker on your computer, go to the guides page. There you so, terrycoachmith.com slash guides. On the or, right hand
1: side, just free content. Yep. Guides. All right, cool. Let's go to the next one. It's from Jan V. Parka. says,
0: Knee push ups, underrated, overrated? Um, underrated. Mm. I, think, uh, I think people's ego gets in the way. I mean, there's even times where I'm doing like push-up drop sets, and like I go till I can't do toe push-ups, and yeah. then I drop to my knees and I keep going. Um, if you let your ego go, there's something wrong. It's why same people like jackknife pull-ups. They'll be like, "Oh, that's a regression. I can do regular pull-ups." I'm like, "Yeah, but you can do twice as many jackknife pull-ups with a slower tempo and proper scapular depression and retraction." So you probably should be doing jackknife pull-ups because yeah. you're putting yourself in a regressed position so that you can progress the movement and create more intensity. Um, now, granted, if you can do a lot of like, I never do knee push-ups unless I'm doing a drop set. But I think they're overrated in the sense that I think a lot of people just have ego when they go in the gym. Mm-hmm. I think they're a good tool. They to help people learn how to do push-ups. Yeah, you know, same with uh, hands elevated. You can do push-ups on a bench. Yeah, put your hands on a bench. Then you're still on your toes, and it's helpful. What they, like I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm asking like from the your feedback or client experience. Is it like humiliating or like I don't know what it. I think it's just one of those human natures of like, well, I can do this. So I'm going to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but your push-up looks horrible. Yeah. Like the problem with a lot of people is they do a push-up and they put their elbows too wide. Their yeah. shoulders protract forward. And then when they go to push-up, their hips shoot up because they don't have enough upper body strength. And I'm like, get on your knees, squeeze your glutes. So your your body should be flat as a board. So from your shoulders to your heels, or in this case, your knees, should yeah. be straight line, not hips hiked up or anything. Squeeze your glutes, straight line from shoulders to, to heels. Your elbows should be tucked in at a 45-degree angle. Your shoulders should be retracted back. So your traps and your upper back and your mid-back actually are working, even your lats, because Squeezy. you're, ro- you're twerking the floor and you're pulling yourself into the floor. Yeah. So if you can't do the push-up that way, do them on your knees. Yep. Figure out that form. Create maximal tension on your knees until you can get to that place. Yeah. I mean. I've taken super strong guys that are like, I can do 50 push-ups straight, and I'll take them through a proper push-up with a slow tempo, and they can do five maybe. Yeah. Are shaking. Wow. And it happened to me when I was young. I'm like, I can do push-ups all day. Yeah. Like, okay, let's do it right. Damn. You know? And it's, now like, now, granted, like, I can do, I can probably do 50, but I can do a lot of push-ups like that because I've practiced that way because I learned that at, like, 18, 19. Yeah. You know?
1: All right, cool. Let's uh, go on to the next
0: one. Sorry, we have a car show outside of our Somebody door. trying to compete with me right now. <laughs> Do I got to go start the truck, get my exhaust going. I, I pulled up to the barbershop today, and my barber, uh, shout out to Albert. He was like, I didn't know your truck was a diesel. And I was like, it's not a diesel. He's like, fuck, it sounds loud, dude. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. Why? I was like, oh, I got some
1: exhaust. <laughs> All right, so the next one is Belize for present. Have you been taking creatine for a week? Oh, no, he's saying I have been taking creatine for a week now and have noticed weight gain and bloating help
0: is his name Belize for president yeah oh nice <laughs> uh all right bloating for a week now um number one check your creatine source if you have a shitty creatine brand like a really cheap off brand there might be sodium in it um i know like in other fillers like maltodextrin and stuff like that i've, I've heard of companies spiking creatine to save on cost and it just causes that to happen um, if it's crea pure, which is going to be used by companies like muscle feast. And, um, I don't know who else they work with to be honest with you, but you'll see a green crea pure label. Cause they have to, that's a really good pure source. Obviously Legion has a creatine product. There's other things in it, but that's a pure source of creatine monohydrate as well. Um, creatine bloating should dissipate pretty quickly. So I would say if this continues for another week, like if you have two full weeks of it at that point, you might want to consider the type you're taking. You might want to consider water intake, something like that. But realistically, it should dissipate away. Very rarely do people have bad reactions to creatine where they have to stop taking it because of that water retention issue. Um, And the other thing is to check off all your bases. I've seen people do this and then I'm like, okay, well, let's go through everything else. And there's something they're eating, they're, they're stressed out, they just started a new training program. There's another reason why they're retaining water because typically even with creatine, I've never actually seen a client look bloated from creatine. I've just seen the scale go up. And the reason for that is because creatine stores water intracellular, which means that it's literally taking water and sodium and and, and storing it into muscle glycogen, mm. which is the carbohydrates in your muscle cell. So if I'm storing water in my biceps, I'm not going to look fatter. My biceps are going to look bigger. But if I'm storing more water in my biceps, triceps, traps, lats, chest, quads, because all over muscle, right? Muscular, intracellular, the scale is probably going to go up a pound or two, right? It might go up a couple pounds and then drop down a pound. But I'm probably going to maintain a pound heavier unless I'm in a deficit and I start losing weight again. Um, but I'm not gonna look fatter. It's a good pound. So you got to stop worrying about the scale. It's just your muscles are holding on to more water and your muscles are 60 to 65% water. I believe it is, which means if you have full water, or full muscles, full of water, you're probably going to perform better, which means you're going to build more muscle as well. It's part of why creatine is good for helping recovery. Um, Not to mention it's going to help with uh, neurological things as well, like your actual brain productivity um, and health. But um, yeah, usually like if, if you're like, man, the scale's going up, I'm on creatine, what do I do? You don't do anything. Your muscles are filling out. It's a good thing. If you're feeling extremely bloated, check all other things you're doing because it's very unlikely to be creatine it's very very rare for that to happen from creatine to be like bloated on your stomach and in your fingers and shit like that like yeah. um if you like if i drink a bunch of wine the next day my my ankles toes and fingers are puffy yeah. right? i i swell up yeah. it goes away after a day and i drink a of water you know it's usually that does not happen from creatine that usually happens from something you're allergic to or some kind of like toxin your body's trying to get rid of yeah. like alcohol yeah so totally all
1: right. Uh, next one's gonna be from Ren. I can't even say that. Renault Jendak. All right. Uh, says, how long have you had to wait, or how long you have to wait to do weights after getting a t- tattoo?
0: Um, I don't wait. <laughs> so it kind of depends on the placement, I think. Um, when I got, let's see, I'm trying to think. My elbow, I waited for upper body. I modified quite a bit because the elbow, tip of your elbow, you're bending and opening and bending and opening. You know what I mean? Like that's going to like literally like open the scab over and over again. Um, Forearm didn't wait. Side of my bicep didn't wait. Shoulder didn't wait. Traps didn't wait. Um, Low back didn't wait. I just didn't lay on a bench. Um, I don't have a lower back tattoo. (laughs) I literally have a tramp stamp right now. And so, and Tony had to reschedule, and I was like, bro, I literally have a tramp stamp. We need to, like, finish the second half so it's not just, like, my lower back. Um, I just have a, a lion claw. Oh, my, my back. gosh. <laughs> Get rid of this thing. Um, that didn't stop for that. My chest, I think I did one of the times because, like, that stretch on yep. your pec was kind of brutal. So I usually take a few days off. I mean, like, if you ask a tattooer, they'll be like, oh, I would take a week or so off. But it, you're telling me to take a week or two off that's really hard to do. Like, I love to train. I have to train. So the most I've ever taken off is like three days after a tattoo. Um, maybe four or five. I had, a ta- I had a tattoo get infected one time. Ouch. And that hurt really bad. And so I took a little bit longer off I for that one. That alone just is good enough for me to not get a tattoo. Yeah. An Infection? I mean, you wouldn't know now. It's not. It's fixed. Oh. I, I didn't get an infection. I thought I had an infection. What, what really happened is... So basically what happened was we sprayed some numbing spray on it. Yeah. Um, and when you spray numbing spray, I thought I had allergic reaction to numbing spray. And then I talked to some other tattoo artists and figured out what was going on. Um, when you spray numbing spray on your skin, it numbs the skin and it turns the skin like rubbery. Like oh. it actually changes the texture. Not the texture, but kind of the texture, like the, the density of your skin or something. Yeah. And it gets rubbery, which means you you kind of have to like press harder and it's like harder to tattoo. So if somebody has a heavy hand, they spray numbing spray on it and then you have its rubbery skin and they're just like going at it and I can't feel it because it's numb, Yeah, they can just like basically overdo it. And they just, they scarred me. They just basically dug too deep. So like the scab ended up pussing up. Blood plasma is what, when you get a cut, blood plasma rises to the surface and that's that yellow stuff that covers over in scabs. You know how scabs are like yellow and red? That's blood plasma. Okay. So I had overproduction of blood plasma because it was just like a deep, deep wound and that looked fucking gross and I thought it was infected but yeah. it was really just a lot of blood plasma trying to scab over to heal and then uh, I put a shirt on because I was having a few drinks went to, went to go to bed put a shirt on and I was probably shouldn't have wore a shirt and slept on my chest couldn't feel it because I was drunk and yeah. then uh, ripped the shirt off and just took the tattoo with it ow so I didn't really get an infection I uh, shouldn't have used numbing spray heavy hand scabbed too hard ripped it off with a shirt yeah. and that fucked it up ow yeah might so. as well call it an infection yeah I had to get a redone a little bit but with your luck, you might get an infection, bro. Yeah, no shot. <laughs> All right. Next
1: one uh, comes from Shane Health Fitness and Fun. It says, uh, best way to retain muscle while cutting from bulk. Any supplements, foods, spe- specific, specific cardio?
0: Uh, easy. Creatine, monohydrate. Take that uh, 1.2 to 1.5 grams per pound of body weight in protein. So an extra high protein diet, because as you go into a deficit research shows, and a lot of experience with bodybuilders shows that a higher than average protein uh, intake during a cut is going to be more advantageous for maintaining muscle tissue. On top of that, if you go from bulking into straight into an aggressive cut, you're going to be hungry as fuck. So bump your protein up. It's not going to store its fat. It's going to help maintain muscle and it's going to keep that you satiated. Um, I would keep fat. I would put fats as low as you can from a health perspective, and keep carbs as high as possible because those are going to help maintain performance. Strength training and keeping as much intensity and volume in the gym is the number two way. So proteins number one. Strength training with enough intensity and volume is the second best way to keep as much muscle as possible. Um, and then outside of that, it's just uh, I would say cardio should be like walking. Low-intensity cardio. Don't do too much high-intensity cardio. Lift as many days a week as you can recover from while doing a cut and consuming 1.2 to 1.5 grams of uh, body weight and protein. Um, And then last but not least, just make sure that you're training really hard. You do that and just do walking for your cardio, you're going to have a great cut and maintain all your muscle. For sure.
1: Good, good. All right. We got a few more here. Uh, Next one comes from Tai Tai Lumley. <laughs> how many milligrams of caffeine do you do you consume on
0: an average too much let's do this uh what's one sixty times three first of all uh that's three hundred uh four fifty plus thirty four eighty yep so four hundred eighty milligrams from rock stars usually yep. have a cup or two you, of, you're saying you have three a day yeah um I have a cup or two on the low end i have a cup or two <laughs> of um, Coffee in the morning, usually a cup. I usually don't make it to two cups um, of coffee in the morning, so it's probably like my co- my coffee mugs are so tiny too. It's probably like seventy five to one hundred milligrams of caffeine there. So let's bump that up to six hundred. Let's round up six hundred milligrams there. That's it, which actually isn't as much as I thought it was. And then your pre workout, I don't. I'm my pre workout doesn't have caffeine. I know. I know. So I purposely take stem free ca- uh, pre workout from Legion, um, which I really like, but. I've done the math on this, and the higher end of what my body weight can tolerate is about 1,000 milligrams per day. I think just over 1,000 milligrams is actually the higher end of safe. Um, but there's a big range. So I think, like, the high end for me is 500 to 1,000 milligrams, and it's based on tolerance. So you know this if you're hyper—if uh, you're, if you're somebody who is, like, hyper-responsive to caffeine or not. So there's some people who have, like, a cup of coffee, and they're, like, shaking and jittery. I could drink a cup of coffee at 9 p.m. and then pass the fuck out. Like I'm not a hyper responder to it. So me consuming 600, 700 milligrams a day is actually not that much compared to what I ultimately can. Because I could easily consume 1,000 milligrams a day and I'd be totally fine and totally healthy because my body can handle that. Um, Now, whether or not it's a good thing my body can handle that, I can't tell you, (laughs) you know, uh, because there's two reasons for that. Number one, there is a tolerance. So if I can handle a lot of caffeine because I've overconsumed caffeine over the years and I've grown a tolerance to it, that probably isn't the, the healthiest thing. And I'm not going to say it's not that because it very well could be. Um, but there's also, also uh, a genetic component. So there's actually like specific strands uh, of DNA. Basically, certain people have a genetic uh, DNA strain of some sort that allows them to handle way more caffeine you got to pay a lot of money to get that shit tested. I'll yeah. never get tested. But there are studies that show certain people do have this gene that you allows wanna you to... You want to think you have that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like I said, it's either that or it's... it's uh, Intolerant. Or yeah. But the thing I will say is I track my HRV and my sleep, and that's fine. So I obviously don't have an adrenal issue. If my sleep was fucked up and I couldn't fall asleep and then, like, I was having bad wake-ups and stuff like that, then I would say, yeah, I probably have adrenal issues from overconsumption of caffeine. But I don't have any problem with sleep. I get good results in the gym. I feel fine, so... Yeah, I don't think I'm overstimulated from that perspective. Gotcha. But I do drink more caffeine than the average person. That's a fact.
1: So, That's okay. Yeah. All right, next one says, favorite conditioning exercises?
0: Sled poles, assault bike, and sprints.
1: All right, um, so. Th-
0: <laughs> for different reasons. Uh, sled pole for, uh, for conditioning while trying to promote better recovery. Assault bike. Uh, for the most versatile because you can do s- slow low intensity you can do moderate intensity you can use it for circuits you can use it for finishers you can use it for sprint intervals I think it's just really versatile um, and then sprints because you know it's a high intensity met like form of activity but I think as human beings we should be able to sprint like if you can't sprint 50 yards up a hill as fast as you can or even on a flat surface I think that you're a suboptimal human being and I don't mean that in a mean way but it's just as humans, we should be able to run really fast. If yeah. we're in danger, we should be able to fucking sprint and get away. And I think that's a good marker for athleticism, health, strength, movement, functionality. Um, I don't sprint that often. I do on the, the salt runner at times. But I used to do a lot of sprints at the track, on the field, up hills. Um, and I think it's a quality that all people should possess. And it's a good quality for building a lot of strength and size for your hamstrings as well. Yeah. It's such a good hamstring exercise. Um, yeah. Sled, salt bike, sprint. Those are my favorites. Okay. So,
1: it's kind of going to go hand in hand here. Um, next question comes from Andara03 again. Uh, it says, How to engage your quads the most?
0: Um, fuck, that depends on the exercise. You know, if you're doing a leg extension, for example, I would say point your toes in. You're going to get a little bit more of the vastus lateralis, I believe. There was a study showing that. Um, and you're going to get that head a little bit more. But, like, I mean, leg extensions, pause at the top and squeeze your hamstrings uh, or i'm sorry squeeze your quads and set your seat back so you're trying to optimize everything point your toes in pause at the top make sure you are squeezing as hard as you can and lean your seat back because that will stretch your hip flexors more and you'll actually get a um studies show more activation on leg extensions when you're not sitting upright when you're leaning back more because you get less of that hip flexor domination um on a squat i would say elevate your heels let your teeth no your knees go over your toes because that's going to create a bigger stretch. Um, on a lunge, same thing, let your knees go over your toes. Um, sometimes it's slowing down the concentric. It really, it's just like, it depends, you know, it just depends on the exercise and certain people have issues on certain exercises. Um, But I think ultimately like how to get the most out of any muscle contraction is going to be to slow it down, use a very simple exercise you feel confident and comfortable with and practice your mind muscle connection. Like literally squeezing, pausing, feeling the muscle, taking things through a full range of motion is always the best bet because you get the full stretch and shortening cycle and just pausing at the top and like thinking about the muscle, looking at the muscle, squeezing the muscle. Yeah. And it sounds weird, but there is a connection to the brain. So like even when I do leg extensions, I'll pull my shorts up a little bit so I can just see my like my quads and my spandex underneath my shorts and I can see the muscle because when I can see the muscle, I feel the muscle more. I'm looking at it. It's why doing curls in a mirror, you get a better pump yeah. because I'm looking at the muscle. I can see that I'm doing it right. I can see that I'm going through a full range of motion. I can squeeze. I think, I think that same idea. Yeah. And I think the, my muscle connection just is just underrated. Yeah. You know, totally.
1: All right, cool. Um, let's go to next one is from wheels. Wife 11. Says best advice for someone who can't afford
0: a, a coach, fat loss and workouts. Download the tailored nutrition method ebook and sign up for the tailor trainer. I mean, it's twenty seven bucks a month and the ebook's free. I mean, if I can like, I know that's a shameless plug and I'm like shouting my own shit out, but I really can't think of a better deal than that. You know what I mean? Like, because here's the thing: is like you're you're like okay, I want to improve my body composition right now. You're going to have to invest a little bit in something. Now, if you're like, hey, I don't care when I do it. I'm going to say, okay, hey, over the course of the next year, I want you to read every article you find from these 10 people, watch as many YouTube videos from these people, listen to all these podcasts, go practice things in the gym. It's going to take a lot of time. You know, so instead of like in order to beat the education curve, Get a free manual from us that is going to teach you quite a bit on nutrition and then get something that is going to give you the best quality training programs on the internet for the cheapest price, which is the Taylor trainer. And I know that for a fact, because I signed up for countless subscription based exercise programs before creating the new Taylor trainer app, because I wanted to see what they were doing and how they were doing it. And we made ours more accessible, have a better variety of programs. And I purposely made it just slightly cheaper than all of them. (laughs) So it's less than a dollar a day. I purposely made it $27 because it beats everybody else's price. And we have more programs that are high quality. Um, A lot of people don't have as much of a tailored approach where it's like, you get an email and it just shows you that like, oh, you want to work out four days, here's the four day workout, you know, and it's like, you're doing what they're doing. Um, And I think that's great. Because if you follow somebody who, like, for example, I might do something like this in the future, where there's a lot of people who are DMing me after watching our, like our vlog style stories, and they're like, What program is this? Can I do this with you? Like, I want to do this kind of training too. I might put something together where I'm updating it constantly and people can literally train with me. But that does weed out a lot of people. It's like, if you're somebody who has the same goals as me and you have the same equipment, then perfect, you can train like me. But otherwise, you're screwed. And that's how a lot of those apps are. They're like, this is only meant for this category. You got to train five days a week with this style and this equipment. Whereas ours is like, hey, do you want to train three, four, five, or six days a week? Do you have this equipment, this equipment, or this equipment? Or are you training at home? Right? What is your goal? Fat loss, strength, muscle growth? Like, here's the different varieties. Um, and it's 27 bucks a month. Yeah. So, I know it's a shameless plug, but that's going to be the best advice. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to send you a long list of shit to read over the course of a year. Yeah.
1: I think it'd be cool to have people sign up for the exact same program as you. And, like, they're doing it that same day and then watching your story and,
0: like, seeing I know. you do it. We'd have to be, we'd have to film and then post later, though. Why? Because... We do, we already do. We film that day and post it that day. I mean, I guess I could put the program in there and then start it when everybody else starts it. Yeah, that's what But I mean. there's good. But you think about the app. Somebody downloads it today. They're gonna start what I was doing weeks ago. No, I'm, I'm talking start about constantly, like it's constantly. It's kind of like the.
1: It's kind of like the workout of the day shit. What we're about to do in in November. Yeah. It's it's kind of like that. They all sign at the exact same time yeah. when you're about to when you're gonna start yeah. your program.
0: Well, I even thought about doing it from like this point too, where it's like I create a five day program, but there's three mandatory days, and then two optional days. So you can train three, four, or five days a week. Mm. But it's the same program. Huh. You know, you have your foundational days. Because even when I do a five-day split, there's three days where I'm like, okay, these are the main days. Bench, squat, deadlift, mm-hmm. really focus on these things. And then there's assessor work on the days between. Um, but yeah, I've been thinking about different things like that. I think it would be cool. Yeah.
1: All right, cool. So let's go to the next one, which is... Do you like one more? From... Uh, Pete two nine six says thoughts on foam rollers and percussion massage gun for mobility and recovery. Um,
0: I like them. I don't think they're, I think they're overrated, but I think they're helpful. So I think, I think they're marketed really well. Um, I think the foam roller ended up not being as great as people thought it was. I think it's something that can benefit you though, because when we use these tools, we do increase range of motion temporarily and increase flexibility. So if you can use a tool that's going to enhance and increase your range of motion during a session, especially if you lack range of motion, I think it's a good thing, you know? So if you're really tight in the glutes and it doesn't allow you to get a full range of motion on an RDL. Foam roll your glutes before you train. You're going to be able to get a better range of motion with lower injury risk. That's, that's a positive. Okay. Um, foam rolling after a session, eh, not as beneficial. I think if anything, doing foam rolling after a session, the best part about it is is kind of like the massage aspect, which can – shift you into parasympathetic mode quicker. So if you're breathing and foam rolling, kind of calming down post-session, it can actually speed up recovery from a neurological perspective, but not because you're rolling your muscles out because you don't need more range of motion after you work out. You need it before you work out. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a very small amount. So like, for example, for me, I don't have tight glutes, so I can easily do full range of motion, deadlifts, RDLs, um, split squats, like Bulgarian split squats, stuff like that, and I have no issue. Um, where I would benefit most from a foam roller is my thoracic spine and my left quad and hip flexor because that's the side i had surgery on so it's just naturally tighter everywhere because i had surgery and it was i had less range of motion there so for me i I typically will pop my t-spine open up extension rotation on the foam roller and then i'll foam roll really hard my hip flexor hamstring and quad on that left side maybe calf and then i'm good so you can specifically target the places that you are tighter to enhance a bigger range of motion before your session. And that's great. And the massage gun is going to do the exact same thing. Um, it's just handheld, right? Yeah. It's easier. Um, I think there's a benefit to it from a neurological perspective more so than anything else when we're not doing it away from our training, just like getting a massage, like massage does definitely enhance recovery, but not necessarily from what people thought. People thought that you were literally unraveling muscle tissue and you were making yourself looser. It's not the case. You're when they're, touching you there's music it's warm they're they're massaging you you feel good your nervous system calms down so you go from fight or flight tight bound all the flexor muscles shoulder hip flexors all that tighten up to loosening up like letting yourself go and your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and you actually get a recovery benefit neurologically speaking more so like meditation and that's going to lead to better recovery in every aspect emotional musculars joint everything um but it's not necessarily because I'm like taking this bound up tissue and I'm making it more pliable or flexible. I'm just relaxing. It's why they did this study. And I've talked about this before. Um, If you, if you're a trainer, if you're interested in this stuff, read James Hoffman's book from RP. uh, Their, their titles are very fun, like very, very just obvious, not very clever. Um, I think it's literally called recovering from training. Mm. (laughs) Um, Not like maximizing recovery for ultimate body composition change or something like that, which granted, you know, it's being real recovery (laughs) Um, but they talk about this in there and there was some studies done on athletes and it was like all right athletes get netflix and chill time they literally just no phone just go watch some bullshit tv and just relax they recovered better and performed better because they had that relaxation period which is why it's important to get massage. it's important to get more sleep it's important to put your phone away put work away not train all the time you know like sit down and just fucking chill that will promote better recovery yeah um you don't need a phone roller for that Oh. on it. All
1: right, cool. That was the last one for the today. So, any announcements before we go?
0: No. Um, make sure you do me a couple quick favors. Uh, leave us a five star rating review. Obviously, share this with a friend on Instagram. Tag me at Cody McBroom so I can share it on mine. Obviously, but make sure you hit the link in the description that says "Ask Boom Boom" to ask us your question. Give us topics. And also, um, we're going to make a multi purpose of this. If you have anybody you would love to see here at a seminar. Let us know. Contact me on Instagram. Hit that thing. Send me an email, whatever. Um, I'm making a list of people. I already have some people who are confirmed down. Um, But 2022, uh, we're planning on doing a seminar here now that we have all this space Um, and I want to get some really good people and I want it to be like the ultimate coaching seminar. So no like Facebook ads and click funnels bullshit. Like we're not going to teach you business systems. We're going to teach you about coaching. Like so this is for anybody who wants to be a better coach or be more coachable. Like I want to talk science, program design, connection, nutrition, periodization, like really cool stuff because I feel like that's a lost thing in in seminars now. It's like basically you can buy products online or you can go to a seminar and learn about business marketing tactics. And I mean it's cool but I think it's something that's lost. I want to do that here. So um, let us know who you want to hear. And they might show up.